My name is Trish Ware, and I am obsessed with all things pregnancy and birth, and helping you to navigate both the practical and the magical seasons of this journey called motherhood. I'm an all-day coffee-sipping mama of seven and labor and delivery nurse who took her expertise in the labor room and turned it into an online one-stop shop for mamas looking for powerful education and support. I've had the amazing privilege of delivering many babies in my 15-plus year career as a labor and delivery nurse and as a mama of seven. I'm here to help you take the guesswork out of childbirth so you can make the choices that are right for you and your baby and write the birth story of your dreams. So hit subscribe and let's replace your anxiety and fear with complete confidence. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not replace your medical advice. Check out our full disclaimer at the bottom of the show notes. Hey, mamas. So I want to give you a little forewarning that today is going to be a sensitive subject. And more importantly, it's a really important subject that I think that we need to talk about as women, as families, as couples, approaching pregnancy, postpartum, all of those things. So today we're going to be talking about not just pregnancy after sexual abuse, but deciding to have a baby after sexual abuse. And I've got a guest here. Her name is Emily. And I'm super excited because she's local. She's here in Nashville. She is one of the first therapists to be certified as mental health. Yeah. I really consider what we talk about here. And I have been getting so many DMs, both inside my mama membership and inside of Instagram and TikTok, and just a lot of women asking me questions that pertain to sexual abuse. And so Emily and I are going to start talking about this and just be like two women talking over a cup of coffee. And we're going to start talking about actually calling it what it is. So Emily, I'd love for you to share what we were just talking about. Yeah. First of all, Trish, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being brave enough to surface a controversial and sensitive subject like this. Again, part of the stigma is not talking about it and not having Mm -hmm. the dialogue, the communication. And along with that comes almost a glossary of terms that a lot of women aren't comfortable assigning to their own experiences. So a lot of times here, what we do at Ready Nest is we are counselors certified in perinatal mental health and trained in all kinds of things. And one of those is trauma and being able to address as clinicians. I don't get to determine what is trauma for you. I don't get to say, that doesn't seem so serious. Get over that versus, okay, this is keeping you up at night and disrupting your life. It's whatever is trauma to you is trauma. And so when you hear labels like rape, like molestation, like sexual assault, some of these things get very loaded, very pressured. There's a lot of burden, heaviness to these things that a lot of women are just now coming around to the idea of, oh, maybe that mattered in my life. Maybe that disempowerment or how I was belittled in that situation 
was more than just me having a bad day or being too sensitive or just Mm -hmm. simply being a woman, Mm -hmm. female, and instead actually taking some ownership, some power back in calling it trauma or in labeling it something that they are comfortable with. And sometimes that is an onion that has to be peeled layer by layer. And it isn't for anyone else to dictate like what that experience was for you. It's for you to be able to take ownership of and decide what do I need to feel empowered again. I love that so much because we talk about that in general inside of my community, just about birth trauma. If it doesn't, the end all of all is not healthy mom, healthy baby. Yes, that's so important. Sure. But if you leave your birth feeling certain ways, that's valid. And so I love that. And as you were talking, I was thinking a lot about, I I watched a special recently about young girls who have been assaulted during parties and then the even more seemingly traumatic experiences in some cases for them was the exploitation and for them to be put out there on the internet and what was really what really stood out to me because i am i'm older and so i grew up in a very people pleasing mentality and i really i watched this and these girls were told who they were as a result of what happened to them and called names and these boys that did these things which wherever they're coming from were seen as innocent or not i don't know just jocks right like a natural coming of age learning curve of sexuality for men yeah and why is this not funny to her and it was a joke or what have you and yeah i thought i realized because like we were talking before i've mentored a lot of women and i went through a season of mentoring teenage girls and i would say out of my group of about 14 girls probably two-thirds of them had been assaulted sexually in some form of fashion and I would agree with you, and I'm probably going in circles in some way, but I think that a lot of times we've been taught, and this goes for boys as well, and men who have been sexually assaulted, we've been taught to let it go, it's not as big of a deal as you think, and all of this, and I think it's time for that to stop, and that goes all the way into what I do as a labor and delivery nurse, which now I'm on the education side of that. But I can't tell you how many times, and we're, and I'm going ahead of myself because we're going to get there, but how many times I have heard staff being very demeaning and cold about a woman who is freaking out or having a hard time with a cervical exam and not one time thinking, what happened to her? Why I've heard so many, oh, she got pregnant, so obviously she could handle a penis or what have. And I wasn't always able to put to words what that, how that made me feel, but I knew it didn't make me feel good about it. And I just think this is so important. So I think for us, let's start with those mamas who are couples in general who are planning, they want to have a baby, but maybe she's scared. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. First of all, you're not alone. Okay. And I know that's easy to say your stats are pretty spot on. There's a lot. And those again, the numbers we all hear are still only those labeling it and coming forward and revealing that. So there's a whole host more which is minuscule. Yeah. And there's so many narrative shifts, right? Like that you're saying, like that have been misinterpreted and made more comfortable and more palatable for everyone but the victim to live with, right? Mm -hmm. And so if that is first, you can do work wherever you are in your journey. We welcome that to be able to talk through, hey, how how has that affected your relationships? How has that affected your marriage or your sex life? How has that affected your relationship with your own genitalia? with your own reproductive system. And a lot of times our body is made to protect itself and purposefully disassociate in trauma, right? So that isn't your body not working. That's your body working and protecting you. But when you want to come back into your body and feel grounded and pleasured or just at peace with who you are in your own skin, a lot of that body work is, of course, extremely triggering. So I don't care whether you're getting a massage or a pap smear or you're having sex, trying to conceive, all of these things, it is normal and okay for that to affect you, right? Mm -hmm. You are not broken because you are affected. That is your body giving warning, telling you, bring attention to this, please, right? So there's the emotional, narrative, relational work. There's also then the physical, the medical other side of it. And so one of those things is just being able to talk to your partner about that, about what your experience is, what your goals are in that. Sometimes you'll need to do some relational work of just being able to communicate and create a really safe and secure environment so that your partner also feels gentle and empowered and understands and Mm -hmm. empathizes with your needs and isn't continuing to re-traumatize or victimize you, that you have a teammate in this, that is you two against anything, against your goals or your standing in your way of what you're, whether that is trying to conceive or just having a healthy sex life. And then the other is your providers. So being able to interview providers, which a lot of people don't know they can do. You can ask to call and sit down with an OB, with a pelvic floor therapist, with any, literally any doctor and not have something wrong. But a lot of times they'll have even after hours slots that they can come in and you can talk to them and literally just ask, what is your experience with sexual assault victims? What is your procedures? What are your policies? If I don't want an episiotomy, no matter what are my options, if I might elect a C-section because I have trauma, or is that even an mm-hmm. option? These things that it is less about decision making early on, it's more about looking at what are even the possible options and being able to feel connected enough with your provider that you can disclose your needs. And then you bring it. in the advocates, right? To be mm-hmm. able to say, hey, my partner's going to advocate for me. Maybe I hire a doula that's going to advocate for me. I'm going to learn the language of how to ask for help myself. And then really, even working with a counselor to be able to jot down, okay, here is what consent means to me. This is Mm. what I require and my body asks for 
to be able to feel comfortable to take the next step. And that's different. It isn't, that shouldn't be dictated for you. Like, okay, this is what consent is in our office. It should be a conversation that's saying, what is consent for you and how can I support you in that? I love that so much because I tell my girls and on my platforms that, and I have a freebie download for you guys that I'll link in the show notes for a provider interview questionnaire because- When I tell them, this is not when you're laid back on the exam table with your legs in the stirrups. This is sitting person to person across from a desk because you are hiring them. And I think that needs to be established from the get-go because what I see in my pregnancy and postpartum community and with my students is this feeling of they're powerful, they're above me, I have to do what I'm told. And I think it's really important to start that relationship. Whether you're a sexual abuse victim or not, I think that's important to start that relationship in that way where you're hiring them, you are paying them. Like, I love that you brought that up. And I also love that you said what's comfortable to her. And one thing that I was thinking when you were saying that is asking them, what is your experience with sexual abuse survivors? But you don't need to clarify or qualify to anyone. Because I feel like that's I feel like that's something I see, especially with birth traumas. What happened? You know what? I'm telling you that I am a sexual abuse survivor. And if you want to share, that's fine because some people are very comfortable. I'm an open book. I'm the type of person I'm very comfortable with sharing what I've gone through. But I know other people that it just to say the words is difficult. So I just want you guys to hear that all you can identify as a sexual abuse survivor, but you don't have to share your story with anyone you don't want to. That should be enough. And what I was thinking when you're saying that is asking them, so what are some measures that you have in place if you have a patient who has been sexually assaulted or abused in some sort of way? Yes, yes. You know. and I think if you're with a good and caring provider, they welcome that. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is information. It's like when I sit across from a new client and they're like, I don't know if this is important, but, uh, and it's like literally whatever they say next is definitely important, right? Yes. The more information, the better that helps me know who you are, what's important. What do you value? How can I help you better? Right. And so you're not doing a disservice offering more information. You're not impeding them in their job. And if they make you feel like that is not the provider for you, you have options, you you can change your mind. It's really important then to feel like, okay, I, I can take this information that they give me as well. And how does that fit? Are we a match? Is this actually for me? Because you're not doing them any favors, just becoming their patient if it's not for you. It really is. You should think of this as an offering that you're providing that's going to inform them better as your provider. And if they don't see it that way, that is not the provider for you. I love that too. And I find myself wondering if there is particular training for providers when it comes to these sorts of 
topics because it seems like there should be. <laughs> there should sense. be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. No, it is a huge gap and not just in sexual abuse, but in any sensitivity, I will say like anywhere for sensitivity to belong, we need exponentially more training for providers, not just OBs, but yeah, midwives, doulas, labor nurses, labor nurses who, all, you know, yes. And there again is a wealth of information when it comes to safety physically. And we have yet to equalize that to emotional security and the yeah. safety that comes to communication and the weight of their words. And again, this is, they don't necessarily know how, how much of an impact their words make on their mm. patients. I think that is something that the my words and my listening skills are my medicine, what we do here at ReadyNest. And a lot of times we think of medicine as this very tangible only, external only. And so they aren't giving the same value to how they speak to their patients and where that goes. And that is permanently in the narrative that that mom is shaping for her exams, for her prenatal visits, for her birth plan, for her birth story, postnatal and on. Oh, and humbly from being on the, I always say I'm on this side of the labor bed now, have learned so much because I've been a labor and delivery nurse for a long time since yeah, most yeah, of my students were, were children. And there are things that I said and did in the beginning because I was trained Yep. And thought it was acceptable. And now I'm appalled by some of it, like walking in and saying, okay, I'm going to check your cervix now. Sure. What? I teach my students, like, I'm sorry, you're going to put your fingers in my vagina without permission now. Is right. that what you're saying? I don't want <laughs> them to be snarky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want them to be snarky or anything. But we yes. establish, I help my students establish from the get go that requires permission. Correct. And in yeah. any other area, no one would put their fingers in your vagina without your permission, hopefully. Otherwise, they're going to be listening to this podcast. But yeah, like it's just there's so much I wish that I could go back and um, retrain sure. in some ways because we were really taught that we just had absolute authority and that was that. And she's here. So we're, if she doesn't want all this, she should have a home birth. And it's, right. oh, for how many times I've heard things like that. And this is why I'm so passionate about what yeah. I do. But okay, so I want to get back to the topic because it's so important. So one thing I was going to ask you, having my family, myself, has been very closely touched by sexual abuse. And I'm wondering what resources there are for the partner because I can only imagine how difficult that would be because a lot of times, especially men, feel a lot of their value and their comfort comes from being desired sexually or, or what have you. So I would say there's a journey there as well for the partner. Yeah. Do you Definitely. have any recommendation, recommendations for them on how to walk through their own needs? Because they have needs as well. Of course. Yes. And, we, and those are valid. Absolutely. And sex is a component of a healthy relationship. So it needs to be something that both partners are comfortable 
dialoguing about, talking about, learning and growing. I always remind couples that even if pregnancy isn't part of their journey together as a couple, age is. <laughs> okay, so your body will change no oh, matter heck what. Yeah. It's inevitable. Yep. Yes. <laughs> it's, it will. <laughs> yes. So it's often, often pregnancy is the first kind of big milestone to interrupt their sexual life, the marriage in such a disruptive or topsy-turvy way that obviously surfaces because it's the crux of emotions and body together. There's medical and mental. There's all these layers that surface a lot of cracks in the foundation, if you will, of the relationship. But I think the first start is literally just, and this is for anyone, is being able to talk effectively about the changes that are happening in the relationship, in their bodies, and in their intimacy, right? This also goes to those who are put on bed rest, or there might be a medical reason that they can't have sex for a prolonged time, or they're in infertility treatments. Or they're vomiting all day. They're horrible. Sick all day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. There's a whole host of reasons. And it isn't, I don't want to, obviously, uh, sexual trauma or abuse is a huge necessary way to talk about surfacing those conversations. But beyond that is I would invite anyone to the table being able to get the help they need to talk to their partner for baby and beyond. And there's a variety of resources as far as not a lot that I personally know of, but of just addressing trauma or being sensitive to the sexual needs in your relationship. I, I know of one that a lot of women Clients I know have recommended Come As You Are just as a great book and workbook to be able to talk effectively about their own sexual wellness, whether it's anatomy or whether it's motivation or libido. Some of these things that like a lot of women heard the words, but may, may not know how it relates to them or their partner. And then obviously as a counselor, I think don't wait for a problem to bring you into my couch. Don't Mm -hmm. wait for um, a crisis to dictate when to get help. A lot of times- I love that. Yeah. It's so important. Working preventatively, right? That like, if you're thinking of of getting pregnant, like that is a perfect time (laughs) to see the milestone on the horizon and say, now is the time we can invest in Mm -hmm. communication, commitment, trust, even- like chores and how we manage our roles, finances, boundaries, boundaries with, with families. other families. Yes. <laughs> We're on the same page. Yes. Exactly. It's, yes. it's just literally every facet of life to be affected by this. We're not going to keep you in session longer than you need, but it is a matter of assessing what are your goals? Where are you at? What, you know, we can almost always predict some of the stressors on the horizon mm-hmm. that are be- going to be affected by that. And then there's going to be a whole host that we don't know and can't control and can't predict that we want to give you the tools to be able to talk through that now or they're a problem. That's exactly what we recommend to our students, part of their postpartum planning. We have a postpartum class as well. And part of their planning is having the resources ready. Don't wait until you're feeling any sort of postpartum part of mood disorder, because then you're probably not going to act and it's only going to get worse. So we have what we we 
help them create a resource list where it's mental health, breastfeeding, pelvic floor, all those things. And then they right. have a person who is part of that, that will initiate that plan for them. And I think that's really important what you're saying, like 100%, I'm, there's, I've got more than most of my family in <laughs> therapy right now. So we are very invested yes, in therapy. It's it. so important. So I guess we've talked about wanting to get pregnant, getting pregnant, choosing a good provider. What is your thoughts on these mamas who have experienced sexual abuse and the actual labor and birth? And then the, the postpartum yeah. period involves a lot of yep. stuff down there that's happening. Yeah. So what do you, because during labor, now, I teach my girls that we only let them do cervical exams as needed, not routine. So that's a, sure. a step. But what is your advice to them as they approach labor? And do you feel like that might trigger some of the trauma responses? Yes, it often does. But again, I think there's a huge benefit in reframing pain, first of all, that they're there will be pain with childbirth, with labor and delivery, but it isn't, again, it isn't your body working improperly. This is not the alarm system going off. This is actually, if you stubbed your toe, you would predict pain. That's I swear old. to goodness, yeah. if any of my students are listening, <laughs> do you have chill bumps right now? You need to take my pain of labor class. I, ha I have a free class that is why you shouldn't be afraid. And I literally use either burning your finger on the stove or stubbing your toe. <laughs> and, and I tell the girls, like, I reframe their brain because the pain of labor means everything is exactly how it should be going. Yes. And it's yes. beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And so we can accept that in this context. And again, context is, is everything. Okay. And so really addressing ahead of time as much as you can control, right? There, There is going to be something that in birth you can't control. I don't know if it's your blood pressure or what's on your playlist, but it's going to be something, right? And so being able to talk to your support ahead of time, obviously your providers, I really endorse having a doula if that's an option for you. Yes, or, amen. <laughs> yep, talking to your yeah. midwife, having your partner having gone to all of your, as many appointments or childbirth education, or if you have a doula sitting in on all those meetings as well. So everyone is on the same page as far as your wishes, your hopes, your fears, and being able to advocate on your behalf. I think being really clear with that and also holding loosely the expectations that come with that, there needs to be an evaluation of how much do you value that and what are your fears around it? Because if the fear is, I don't want any IV because I'm scared of needles. Okay, that might shift when the pain of labor is like way worse than a pinprick. So it's, okay, is your value around that? Or is your value more around like the experience? If I get an IV, then I can't walk around or what are my options if I have to be in a certain position or whatever? Well, I guess These are for nuanced. What I was thinking, because I've, I have close relationship with people who have been sexually assaulted and there's a huge touch issue yeah and i have seen that as a labor nurse with patients who have not told me that they've been sexually assaulted but i know 
the first time because I'm very much a touchy-feely person. And I would love to help some of these moms navigate that because you have a right. And I'm going to throw into everything she just said, you need to take a birth class so that you and your team know all of these things. But I feel like a lot of women feel like they don't have the right over their body anymore when they're in labor. And I'd love for you to address like navigating, not wanting to be touched or being touched too much or people seeing them naked. Absolutely. There, there's so many vulnerable opportunities here. Again, it is probably the most vulnerable you'll feel in your life is in labor and delivery. And so I do think the prep work is vital to be able to talk through what are you comfortable with? What do we make sure of, again, according to your needs, your comfort level, your values that, hey, if her bra stays on, it stays on. We're going to do everything we can for her to be able to mm-hmm. have that. If it's a water birth or whatever the parameters might be, but giving others the information of what is permissive and then what to look out for. Our biggest predictor of that is the trauma itself and how you have dealt with stress or stressors since then? What are other triggers? And that's something that you may need to walk through. Sometimes that is incredibly triggering just to, yeah, to talk about time and to invite your partner and then even your care team, whether it's doulas, midwives, even informing your OB, you can make and create a very concise birth plan, but with some rules that you as ideal as possible. And again, holding loosely some of the things that like are, hey, this is if everything goes great. Also, Mm -hmm. I understand here are some options and this is what I would opt for. But yes, touch is enormous. And really the goal in the prep work is to keep you as grounded and in your body as possible. So again, a lot of times if uh, and you've practiced some of the relaxation, some of the breathing, you can stay in it in the pain. And Maybe in transition, that's where we would see the most, you know, of like disassociating can get real crazy real quick and then you can get through it. But being able to plan for that, Mm -hmm. no, oh, okay, like this is appropriate. This is my Mm -hmm. body working for me. This isn't, again, it isn't the alarm system that may have gone off when I was actually experiencing assault and that there's a difference between those. And you have to teach your body that. And then as you come out of it, again, postpartum, you also have to teach your body. So it's not just, oh, good, the baby's here, we're done. The placenta has to come out, there might be some stitches, there might be discomfort that your body leaking a lot of weird stuff, all (laughs) fluids of all kinds. Yes, out of everywhere. (laughs) Yes, yes. And really being able to, I think, approach it with a healthy curiosity, instead of this rigid, kind of like using your body of if it doesn't do this, then it's broken or bad. And it's no, this is a very be gentle with yourself, malleable, vulnerable Mm -hmm. moment in life to be curious about, oh, wow, I'm still bleeding. I guess I need to care for myself. Might need another sits bath. But like some of these things that are with much more gentle curiosity as you heal and recover, that's accepting the healing process along the way. And not just like, why isn't this over yet? It must be me. Why can't I get over it? And a lot of that, any of those flags of like, why can't I get over this? 
that is processing waiting to happen, right? So that's where you really need to get in and talk about it. And it sounds so simple because it is our body and mind are amazing how talking about these things, writing them out, journaling literally shifts the information from one side of the brain to the other. So we are actually physically processing your birth story when we revisit it and sometimes rewrite it, pointing out moments of strength and empowerment Mm -hmm. that maybe in the moment felt dismissed or disempowered. And to be able to, again, just like in survivorship, reframing and re-narrating some of that into a story that you can own. Yeah, I love that you said that because I would, if any of you guys are listening, episode 34, my sweet student, Cassie, and one of the things we do in the VBAC lab, so we have two birth classes. One is Calm Labor Confident Birth for everyone. And then the VBAC lab is for my moms who have had a cesarean who want to have a vaginal delivery. And part of that, we have... we started out with it is a birth debrief and walking through your other birth, the cesarean birth. And then part of their assignment is to walk through with their partner, with themselves, figuring out their trigger. So for someone who maybe went into their 36-week checkup and their blood pressure is through the roof and they were sent to the hospital and all hell broke loose, when they start approaching that 36-week during this pregnancy, we want it to be smooth sailing. So we walk through the triggers and then they have to write out, or we suggest they don't have to, write out their birth narrative of their original birth because, and we're, I'm going off topic a little with birth sexual abuse, but part of that I've found is that a lot of these moms never share their birth story yeah. because it just felt so wrong to them. And most of the time when they tried to share it, people dismissed them as well. Your baby's healthy. Like right. that, everything's good. Thank God your baby was healthy. And yes, thank God your baby was healthy. We're so happy for that. But you're allowed to be pissed off. You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be sad, disappointed, whatever it is. And when you said that about being able to go through it and find the strengths, you have to listen to episode 34 with a Cassie because we meet weekly in my membership. We on Monday nights with the VBAC mamas, on Wednesday night with our pregnant mamas, Thursdays with our postpartum mamas, and we do a happy, we call it a happy hour, which I don't know why, because half the time we're either bitching or crying, but it's our time. And Cassie shared her repeat cesarean. She didn't get her VBAC. And she shared it in the community the first time. And there was a lot of tears, a lot of anger, and just disappointment and a lot of these feelings. However, months later, we just did her interview, podcast interview, and she shared her birth story. And I could see her like I can see you. And I watched her realizing the beautiful aspects of this birth and how redemptive it actually was because she got to labor and her husband went all around town gathering all these things. And while we're on VBAC happy hour, he's behind her and we had no idea he was creating her laboring room and her scene for her to labor because she was in labor, like early stages of labor. 
And I watched as Cassie was realizing the beauty of it and owning it, and she was able to just really embrace her birth story. So I love that you said that because I think there's something so important about sharing your birth story in a safe space with people who aren't going to be judgy or have everything to say about it or tell you or what have you. I just love that you said that. And I think for these moms as well, I think there's also power in having a safe place to share their story of being abused and whatever that looked like as well. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And again, yeah, find that safe person, whether it's your partner, a good friend, or again, counseling. It's such a beautiful way to come and open that up and heal and leave it here too and revisit as needed and process and work through. And it, it there, there's healing, but there's never the end. Right? Mm-hmm. So we don't want you to feel like, oh, I haven't succeeded or moved on unless it's tied up in a nice, neat bow. It's like, no, this is your life. This will continue like every other experience, good and bad, to be reminded or re-triggered or again, these things will surface, but it's the matter of that's not you doing anything wrong. We want to eliminate the shame that often follows those triggers and be able to accept that, okay, this is part of my story. It it, but it also doesn't define me. I can take back the power from these experiences and build upon them and even use them for good a lot of times. Yeah, I love that. And it's funny that I'm, I have to call my husband as soon as we're done because the word curious keeps coming up. I belong to a business group and we did a retreat in California and we have a life coach that's part of the team. And her whole theme was being curious. Wow. (laughs) And, you know, if you're in the middle of a launch or a new product or whatever, and it doesn't go the way you thought, she was like, I'm curious why, blah, 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 and what I can. And and then my husband and I are, we have an amazing marriage, but we're going through a lot as a family. And so we go to therapy and my therapist or our therapist said something about curiosity and now you said it. So I'm like, Love I need it. to do a word search or something. <laughs> I need to do a journal word search on the word curious right now yes. because I think it, it's an interesting way to stop and assess a situation instead of assigning meaning to it, trying to look at it from all angles. And I think that's right. what that word curious has been the theme in my life is to say, okay, I'm curious how this experience is going to be used for good in some way. Yeah. It's a pleasant way to think about sitting in the unknown. And that is really the ultimate discomfort for most of us humans (laughs) is we don't like the unknown Mm -hmm. and we don't like to not know what's coming or feel out of control. And we are almost all the time. So being able to reframe that as this isn't something wrong. It doesn't need an answer right now. I can sit in the curiosity and be uncomfortable and content at the Mm -hmm. same time. I always say the only difference between failure and progress is perspective. And curiosity offers that lens to remain in a posture of humility to be able to see I don't know what's going to come, but I'm here for it. I 
Love that so much. And for those of you guys listening, if you take nothing else from today, I love that because it really does come down to my husband and I, we talk about this all the time. It really comes down to your perspective of the circumstance and what, and I would also say your action, like what is your action from this lesson that you're learning or what have you and so yeah i'm so glad that you came on today i don't want i want to wrap up here soon because my mamas don't have time to listen much longer than 45 minutes so i'm so grateful that you came today and we talked about this topic because i think it is crucial and i would love for you to just tell everyone i know that you have services in tennessee and florida i believe maybe and South Carolina. Um, yeah. Oh, and South Carolina. Okay. So for those of you in those areas, why don't you let them know where they can find you? Yes. Thank you. Please reach out at readynestcounseling.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at readynestcounseling. We've got some free groups that we offer, a new mom's group and a lost group. We have a couple online resources. And then if you're local to Knoxville, Nashville, Charleston, And then we also do teletherapy statewide in Florida. Please reach out. We'd love to connect you to whatever help you need. Okay. So if they're in Tennessee or South Carolina, do they also have the option for telehealth as well? Absolutely. Yep. Statewide in all three states. Okay. Yeah. I definitely, if you guys are listening, therapy is the way to go. (laughs) It is the way to go. I was telling someone recently, I had Grayson late in life. I had my oldest very young in life. And so I have mothered through a lot of different eras. And when I was mothering my older kids, we didn't know anything about therapy or any of that or diagnoses or like it it was just a very primitive time for us. So I love it. My seven-year-old, well, we've had him in therapy for a while. We did like a life coach type thing for him. That was really cool. And um, He'll be in the car and I'll be getting on his nerves. I don't know. And he'll go, Mom, I really need to talk to Miss Carrie about this. I'm like, okay. Love it. <laughs> Whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. It's critical. And it, and where I love that we're normalizing it. This is just more help for everyone, right? Just beneficial to the whole family. It's sincerely. As a mother of four daughters, it's my passion to shape the world to be a better place for them that maternal mental health is a normal part of the future for them as if they choose to become others and even just as women in the world trying to impact Mm -hmm. it for good that's the world we want to create and i hate myself right now because i normally ask about my guests birth experiences but i'm so passionate about this topic i just wanted to dive in quickly but yes i do the the same thing i my Our labor nurse mama kind of theme and motto is changing the birth culture one birth at a time through one mama at a time because it has to change for our daughters. Our daughters should not experience. Luckily, I love my student community because those girls, man, they are way different than I was when I was having babies and they are not going to put up with it. So I love it and I love educating them and I love that you're doing this really important service for women and for our girls. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Mama, if this episode was for you, I want you to know that you are not alone. 
that we are here for you. There are so many resources for you, and I'm going to link to some in the show notes, including our provider interview questionnaire that you can download for free. And also, I just want to invite you into our pregnancy and postpartum community, Calm Mama Society. You can try us out for a dollar for seven days, and then it's $19.97 a month, and that's going to get you expert workshops and trainings and support like you will find nowhere else. We meet on Mondays, we meet on Wednesdays, we meet on Thursdays via Zoom with myself or another professional or a doula or a baby care specialist. But we want to come alongside you and support you and encourage you and help you flip that mindset to one of empowerment. As always, have a great week and we will see you again next Friday. Bye for now.